You don't have to focus for six hours. If I hit the ball 65 times, 28 seconds, all 65 times, that's what I have to focus for. And as long as I do that, I'm going to be successful. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another Park Train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. My other co-host, Mr. Matt Cermak, could not make it this week, so I was riding solo. But guys, thanks for hopping aboard. As always, if your golf game's off the rails, sick ride the struggle bus, you've come to the right place. The part train helps frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. The part train podcast unpacks the mental game with PGA Tour pros, Corn Ferry Tour pros, like today with Matt Picanto. Best-selling authors, CEOs, sports psychologists, everyday golfers like you and me and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you finally get back on track. This episode, like every episode of The Part Train, is presented by Rowback Activewear. I was just telling Cermak this last week. He's one of my groomsmen for my wedding. I chose to get all of my groomsmen a Rowback hoodie because that's how much I love them. I paid for them myself. I think if that's not a testament of how good Rowback Activewear is, I don't know what is. I could have chosen anything, and I wanted something that people will love and use for years to come, so I went with the hoodies. This is also, we're getting in the heat of summer, so their new polos, they launch new polo designs every week. So go to rowback.com, enter the code TRAIN, get yourself 15% off. If you've used it before, enter a new email, do what you got to do. I'm telling you guys, nothing's better than Rowback Activewear. So hop aboard the Roback train like we do. Get yourself something nice. You deserve it. Okay. This interview with Matt Picanso is uh, one of my favorite interviews we've done in a while. Matty P, as they call him, or Pico, I think his nickname is a mini tour legend. Okay. There's been a lot of people that have done stories, Golf Channel, I think Golf Digest, Fire Pit Collective. There's been so much stories done on his personal story that I didn't go too much into that. I wanted you guys to get inside his mind and his nuggets to help your game. But to give you some context, Matt, I guess you can call him a late bloomer in the golf world, turned pro at 30. He played baseball for a while, gave up golf for five years, took it back up at 30. Everyone was telling him, dude, you're a natural. You got to try and play more golf. He finally caved and did it. And he's won over 50 events on various mini tours. He's a mini tour legend. Finally got through the second stage of Q school, which was kind of his nemesis. He talks about what has been the difference and what helped him get past that stage in Q school and get to the finals. He talked about things like what he learned. He had to learn how to win. What did he learn to help him start winning? He talks about how mental fatigue leads to physical fatigue. And I think the biggest thing that I took away from Matt, we stayed at the same Airbnb when we went for an event presented by Carrie, which is a startup that helps fund up and coming tour pros to help them achieve their dreams. So go to carrie.golf, check them out if you want to invest or, or help tour pros make their dreams happen. But that's where I met Matt. Like I said, at the beginning of the interview, every time we were talking that week at Pinehurst, I was like, oh my God, I wish I had my my microphone on. This should be a podcast. This should be a podcast. And he just tweaked a muscle near his ribs and has some downtime. And hopefully he comes back soon, but finally had some time to sit down with him and really dig in inside his head. He did not disappoint. To me, what Matt really hit home with me that I've never forgotten is you've got to find your thing to be confident about. And for me, I've always been a great athlete, but I've never taken that with me on the golf course. I always thought that kind of worked against me for some reason. And I'm trying to undo that pattern and rewire my brain so that I can be confident on the course and practice my confidence and practice my self-belief regardless of how I'm hitting it. I think too many of us 
are reliant on our shots to bring about confidence. And of course, it's easier when you're hitting it well, but I think Matt is a perfect example that you have to practice confidence. And he tells a story about getting the finals of Q School finally that I think you will relate to, and it'll hit this point home. You guys are going to absolutely love this episode. Thanks to Matt for hopping aboard. Matty P. Funk on Instagram if you want to follow his journey. And no matter how you're hitting it, guys, no matter where the ball goes, remember, enjoy the ride. Okay? That's what it's all about. If we've added any value, give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Follow us at The Part Train, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I post multiple times a day on every platform. Things that we don't talk about on the show, I put there. So if you like the show and you're not following us there, get some value over on the socials and give us a follow at The Part Train. All right, guys, as always, thank you guys so much for hopping aboard. It means the world. Enjoy the ride out there. Take care. Matt Picanso on the Corn Ferry Tour. We've shared an Airbnb together. It's a pleasure to welcome you aboard the train. Welcome aboard, my man. Good to be here. The first time we met, Matt, I woke up, I walk out the hallway, and I go, are you Donnie? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what you looked like. I didn't know what Donnie, the CEO of Carrie, looked like, which is the company that both brought us out to Pinehurst a couple months ago, a few months ago. You're like, no, my name's uh, Matt. <laughs> and that's how we met. And we spent a lot of time that week. You helped my putting. You were telling me all of this different stuff about stories, things you've learned on the tours. And I couldn't help but thinking the entire time we spent together, God, this could be a podcast. This should be a podcast. This should be a podcast. So here we are. We're finally doing it. You're working through some injury stuff, which hopefully you can get back soon and get to Omaha. But selfishly, it's good that we have some time to maybe sit and reflect and and share some of your nuggets for the uh, the part train listener. Absolutely. There's a ton of different ways I thought about starting this today, but I think the best way to jump off in a way that people will love is Talk to me about the power of the song Could You Be Loved by <laughs> Bob Marley. Let's start there. I think it was 2015. I kind of got in this weird habit. I just had tried to put myself not in a trance, but kind of in a trance when I was playing, especially if I was, I like made the cut, but I was pretty far back. I kind of tricked myself into this mindset of where, where you know, I, finishing 40th doesn't matter between finishing 60th. I might as well just try and birdie every single hole. And then I got... And what to tour was this to give people context? Various mini tours. I think okay. I was playing just a lot of different unsanctioned mini tours. You know? Okay. Could have been Golden State, Gateway, cool. Dakotas. But that particular song is from the Monterey Open, one of the oldest opens in California. It's at this course called Old Del Monte up in Seaside. Super cool little course. Very tricky greens. Not very long, but tricky course i shot four under for the first two days going to the final day seven back of the leader leader is at 11 under but there's 40 people between me and him and so i'm warming up that morning and i'm just thinking all right like every birdie passes the guy i just got to make as many birdies as i can and i got to pass as many guys as i can during rounds like that i had a few other days like that and i would just try to detach so i would just sing a song in my head all day long you know, regardless if I was making bogeys or making birdies, I just sing a song in my head. And for some reason that day, I got on the first tee and I, you know, I'm getting ready to tee off and it just like popped in my head. And it was just, I could just hear Bob Marley and it was, could you be loved? So the whole day I'm sitting there and I'm just singing, could you be loved in my head? And I get to the 17th tee and I'm like looking around and like, there's people like following us. And I'm like going, why are these people following us? This doesn't make any sense. Or I'm on 18 green. I just cut it out on 17. And I hit my drive on 18 and I hit it in there about 18 feet. 
I'm still singing the song. I make the 18 footer and like everybody starts clapping and the two guys I'm playing with are just like losing their crap. I immediately like my brain turns on and I start counting in my head and I'm like, holy shit, I've already won. Two, three, four, 36, 38, 39, Eagle 10, 30 to 11, 30 12, Eagle 17, 38. I'm like, I just shot 60. And the course record was 61, which was set by Nick Watney back in like earlier in the 2000s before he had got on tour. That was pretty cool. The whole day singing that song. And I I mean, I literally just, I shoot 60 and all of a sudden, like I'm waiting around and everybody's struggling on the course. The course is playing super hard that day. I think the next lowest score was 67. So I beat the whole field by seven shots and I ended up winning the tournament by four. And you were what? Seven shots back uh, to start? I was seven shots back to start yeah. the day. Yeah. Just to clarify one point of the story, you realized where you were at on your, on the green of 18 with an 18 footer. Keep me honest. Uh, and you thought about your score and you said, tell the story about how you didn't freak out about shooting no. a 60 or what it could no. mean. Your mind went somewhere else. And I think this is huge. Yeah. I mean, once I looked up and I saw the people, the whole 18th hole, I knew something was happening. But in my mind, I was still like, well, it's just another hole. I'm making a birdie. If I make a birdie here, I pass a guy. The problem is, I think sometimes you could get over that tee shot. And if you're thinking about, oh, man, if I make another birdie, like I shoot this. Or if I do this, I do that. You lose the process of hitting that tee shot. Hitting that tee shot is 28 seconds. All you have to do is focus that hard for 28 seconds. Hit that tee shot. Mm-hmm. And while you're walking to the next shot, you know, or do whatever you need to do, think about it. But then once you get to the next shot, same thing. It's 28 seconds where you just have to be in the moment hitting that shot. And on the green, the same thing. Like If you don't control what you're thinking about, especially your breathing, You'll get over putts like that, and I mean, you'll feel your hands start to shake. And I'm sure there's plenty of people listening right now, or even you, have felt that your hands like just shake. Like, holy crap, that's ruined some careers. I mean, it's ruined some guys forever. It's something that can totally overpower you, and then you freak out and you don't know how to stop it. You're just like, oh my god, how am I ever going to play competitive golf again if I get over putts that mean something and my hands just start shaking? Mm-hmm. So for me, it was that song was a big part of it because it was just all right singing a song in my head and I'm hitting the golf shot singing a song in my head. And I'm reading this putt. Like I've read putts like this my whole life. I'm just going to get over this putt and I'm going to hit the best putt I can. And if it goes in, it goes in. Yeah. And so that was all I was thinking was I wasn't thinking about what's going to happen. If I make this putt, what's going to happen if I miss this, putt. I was just thinking, all right, I got another chance to pass a guy. Let's read this putt and hit it where I think it should go. And if it goes in great, I mean, it went right in the middle. But instead of being tentative about what it may mean, I think you got excited about breaking Nick Watney's oh, I record. I mean, right? I started, yeah. Of course, I was thinking about like, holy crap, like I, got, like I got a chance. Instead of like thinking like, oh my God, if I miss this, I was thinking like, I got a really good chance, a really good look to break this course record. I embraced that feeling. I, I have a chance to do this. And I just tried to hit the best putt I could. And I love that. And actually, this is proven in science. Michael Singer, the author of The Untethered Soul, which is one of my favorite books, he was interviewed by Oprah and he talked about how there is serious power in getting something stuck in your head, whether it's a song, but also you can almost create your own song Mm -hmm. with a message that is powerful for you. Clearly, you saw the power of that in your round, but it kind of reminds me of a story that we heard from Colin Morikawa's coach. I forget what hole was that. Was that 16 or was that 18 when he hit that driver on the green to win his PGA? Was that 16? 16, I think. It might have been 16. The story was he saw the leaderboard and he saw that he was within a shot. 
to potentially contend for his first major. And the automatic thought or habit would be, oh my God, I could win a major. And then your mind starts moving. You're like, what is it? What could this mean for me? This many years on tour, this much money, a dream come true, which is winning a major, all this stuff. And instead he reset and he said, well, why not me? It doesn't matter that I haven't won one. I'm here. So let's go win it. I think Colin's mind naturally went to play defense for a second. And then he talked himself into playing offense again and he went and won it. And it seems like you kind of did the same thing with that putt. You have to, what do the kids call it nowadays? You got to be your own hype man. Like you have to be your own hype man. If you're playing a game competitively and you don't think, why not me? Like, why can't I be the best? Then you have no business being out there. And when I walk on a driving range, I don't care how I feel or what I'm doing. In my mind, I'm walking on that driving range with my chest out, like looking at everybody going, I'm better than all of you. I'm going to beat all of you. And if you don't tell yourself that, or like you said, like have that in your head, you're going to feel all those emotions and those shakes in the hands and stuff like that when those big moments come up. Well, Matt, I knew this would come up with you. And this was the question I was really excited to ask you, because this is something that I personally have struggled with. I've recently realized it's a huge pattern of mine, probably the biggest pattern. And I think most amateurs probably experience this. The one thing I really wanted to dig in with you is about confidence. And someone might hear what you said and they might think, well, it's easy for Matt to say, guy shot a 60, right? (laughs) A lot of the people listening may not be able to break 90 and you're seeing two-way misses. One day you got it, the next day you can't. The one thing I'd love to dig in on is confidence can be practiced. Actually, it has to be practiced. Mm -hmm. Because for me, Matt, to give you context, I've noticed that my pattern, and this is what stood out to me from our time at Pinehurst, you kept talking to me about how you're a great athlete, you're going to figure it out. And you told me the same thing. And I never actually embraced my athleticism on the golf course. I always thought that it was working against me because of the things we tell ourselves about baseball swings and muscle memory and all that <laughs> crap. Right. When actually yep. I probably am good because I played baseball hundred percent versus the other way around. Yep. But I have found that when I'm like, I, this happened to me at Pinehurst, when I'm playing with people that maybe I'm trying to impress, which is never a great start, but naturally it's a human thing. When I'm playing in something that means something I inherently feel tentative and like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I've realized that confidence can't just be something that you get when you're hitting it well, or you'll never have it, or you won't have it nearly as often as you need it. Where I think the way you're talking about it is regardless of where the ball is going or how you're feeling, you have to almost trick yourself and remind yourself that you're good enough. Otherwise you have no chance. So I want to dig into this because a lot of people think that confidence you either have it or you don't, or it's, it's based on how you're hitting it. Yeah, everybody always says, you know, like, well, it's easy to be confident when you're playing well. 100% that's true, but there's a reason why the greatest players in the world and in history will never show you when they're not hitting it well, because they're always that way. You think Tiger was ever, ever, when he's eight over par, a perfect example is the times when he's like, he's struggling. You know he's struggling. He's eight over par, but he's somehow like birdies four of those last six holes. How does he do that? He does that because he never, ever once stops and like thinks I lost it or, you know, I'm not good enough. And he doesn't. And and this goes back to what I was saying. When when you're on the driving range, I don't care how you're hitting it or what's going on. you got to hold your head up high and you got to, your body language is everything. 
because the people around you, it's like wolves in the wild. When they smell fear, they attack. And I know golf's not a contact sport. We're not, we're not reacting or like getting hit by people, but it's a huge mental advantage to somebody when I know that I can, like the other guy's struggling and I'm like, oh, I got you. I'm beating you today. The biggest part of that, even for the weekend warrior, the amateur golfer is, man, I don't care what's going on. Smile, laugh, pump your chest up. That like just doing that, the, you know, the endorphins that are released in your mind, like I said, you'll figure it out. And yeah, you're going to hit, we all hit bad shots. I mean, the best players in the world hit terrible shots throughout a, throughout a golf. The difference is it never once phases them. It never brings them to that point where you're like, oh my God, what am I doing? My swing, something's wrong with my swing. You know, this is going on and it's hard. I mean, it is something you have to practice. Like I have to practice it every day, especially now because I've been struggling. So, you know, when I have these range sessions, I have to take my time and remind myself I'm working on something right now and I'll find it if I'm good enough and I'm athletic enough. At some point, you know, I'll hit one and it'll click and then I'll hit 50 in a row. Perfect. But until yeah. then, you can't drop the club and like, you know, kick the ground and hang your head because the minute you do that, these negative endorphins are released in your brain and it takes 30 minutes to flush those things out. So that means for 30 minutes, you're just going to go down that cycle. You're going to go through that spiral of like, I'm never going to play good golf again. Oh my God. That's what we're talking about with like that confidence. It's not that you're brainwashing yourself, that you're the best player in the world, but kind of you are like, you have to brainwash yourself that like, I'm the best, regardless of how I'm hitting it today. I'm the best. So last weekend, Matt, it was one of those rounds. I'm sure you've experienced many of these where you wake up feeling a little stiff. The club felt foreign in my hand. I was working oh, on this new feel. And like you got my, two, it's like you got two right arms. Yeah. With my takeaway, <laughs> I had no idea where the face was. I'm hitting misses that I haven't hit in a long time. I'm hitting new misses both ways. I'm playing with three old guys that can barely hit it 200 yards with a driver and they're beating me, you know, and my <laughs> ego and my mind is going crazy. I got all the tools yeah. mentally, but I'm a, still a human. And in those moments, I'm thinking about blowing everything up. You're thinking about, okay, should I hit punch shots? Should I be hitting my three? <laughs> should I put the driver away? Like, I want to know from you, that's tough. That was tough for me. And I'm just on a Muni, right? It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But for you, in these events on the Corn Ferry, every one is so important because it can lead to the next and it can lead to yeah. the next and it can get you to the next point. Building on that, building on, you have to tell yourself this, keep your confidence what are things that you've told yourself are done in those, in those rounds, competitive rounds where the club feels foreign, you're not seeing great shots. Uh, I mean, do you sing I mean, Bob Marley? Is, like, what do you do? I mean, this is perfect timing because I've been doing this for six straight weeks. I'm showing up every week. I'm showing up and I've, I've got a combination of, you know, my C game and my D game. And I have to somehow figure out, I got to make this cut with my C game or I got to make this cut with my D game today. It's been cool because I've kind of progressed through that journey myself where at first I'm human too. And, and yeah, I was, like I said, I, I'm on the driving range and I'm just, I'm so frustrated and I'm just trying my best not to show that frustration, but it's still going to show at times. Basically what I started doing was, what am I doing really good right now? I'm chipping the ball really good and I'm putting really good. I just grinded those in. I just kept hitting short game shots and kept putting because I was doing those really well. It allowed me to stay in a calm mental space. Like, all right, I can do this. I'm athletic enough. I can scrap the ball around the course. I'm going to hit some squirrely shots, but as long as I keep it in front of me, I'm chipping the ball really well and I'm putting good. So I got a chance. It just takes one or two movements or swings where you hit one and you're like, oh, there it is. I got it. 
there it is. Can you do it again? There it is. I got it. I was waiting for that. There it is moment. It didn't really come, but I still, you know, I, sh- I would shoot. I think I shot like 72, 69 and I shot 71, 71. Then I shot 70, 72, you know, and I kept missing cuts by one or two, but it was mainly because I would just have that one hole where I would just hit this wild foul ball or like just a wild whiff and I would make a double and that double would end up, you know, it would cost me. But the rest of the round, it was, I'd have stretches where it was just, it was incredible how I was scoring with how bad I was actually hitting it. But nobody would really know how bad I was hitting it because like I said, for me, for me, when I'm hitting it bad, I call it toe whipping. I mean, they're still going straight, but the difference is I'm hitting a seven iron from 165 yards because I know I'm going to toe whip it. Well, normally I'd be hitting an eight iron, maybe a strong nine iron from that distance, but I'm yeah. just not hitting the ball, like compressing it. So I'm just taking a lot more club and just hitting these little whiff shots, but they're going where I'm looking. So and that's, that's not easy of, to commit to either, right? Because you no, know that not. a good seven is going to go 180 all plus. Of a sudden, yeah, if I all of a sudden flush this thing, it's going to go over the green. There's times throughout this last six-week stretch where that definitely happens, where it's like, holy crap, like I finally flushed one. And yeah, I put myself in a real bad spot. The one thing about tour golf is you can't go long and you, you can't short side yourself because it's just the way they tuck the pin. So I, I did that quite a few times because I was experimenting. You know, That's yeah. kind of what you have to do when you get in those moments, like the last weekend for you, you can experiment and be like, all right, it doesn't have to be like a depressing day. Like, oh my God, you can be like, well, shoot, let me try this thing. And then if that doesn't work, go to the next one. All right, let me try this. So if you feel that way at the start of the round, you don't think it's a bad thing necessarily to create a new game plan. Cause it's, uh, I think the common thing is all day amateur players are trying to find that one shot they hit on the range or find the feel that worked oh, three weeks ago. What I think you're saying is, you, you accept adapt. immediately that you don't have it yeah. and you start to change your approach. But it's also a fine balance of changing too many things. The balance for me was what am I doing really well? Yeah. I'm, chill- I'm, I'm hitting the wedges good and I'm putting good. So I tried to eliminate the big numbers. So if I wasn't hitting a good off the tee and there was times when I would hit it, you know, into the trees and I might have a shot, like I would have a shot like that. Normally I feel like I could pull off like, you know, I might have to, I might have to curve it or move it around 20, 30 yards. Normally I could do that and I would feel confident, but because I wasn't swinging well and I just wasn't hitting the ball the way I want to, I would just accept, all right, I really like 115 right now. I've been hitting 115 really good. So I'd try to get the ball somewhere around 115 and then I'd try to get it up and down and I might get it up and down, you know, two out of four times that, that day doing that. Those other two times I only make a bogey where instead of if you're forcing it, like you're hitting it bad and then you that's the main thing I think amateurs do when you're struggling already and you're hitting it bad and then you hit yourself into a situation where you know you're trying to hit the hero shot because you're still searching for that like contact that you want and then you try to hit the hero shot you know you chunk it or you hit it into a tree and it goes backwards and all of a sudden you bring eight you bring seven into play you walk off that hole thinking like oh my god like I'm you're so lost and it's really like you're not that lost you just hit a bad tee shot all you have to do is punch it back in the fairway knock it on the green maybe you make the putt if not, you walk away with a five and then your mindset on the next hole is completely different when you walk away with a five than you did with an eight or a seven. That's kind of where it separates, you know, very good players from weaker players is because the only way you keep that mindset all around is by, it's not just damage control with your score, it's damage control with your mind. So I can accept making a bogey. I can't accept making a seven or an eight because if I make a seven or eight, that is purely my fault, regardless of my talent level or my skill level that day, that is totally 100% on me 
if I allow myself to make a seven or an eight. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break, but not just any break. This is a special break. We are in Cabo San Lucas. I got my man, Cermak, with me. I mean, we are in Cabo, and I'm not going to lie, Cerm, my skin, I've been trying to prep it for Cabo, but there's no way to prep for Cabo Sun. The L.A. Sun does not compare. I was even getting a little red in L.A. So what did Oars and Alps do for us? How shocked were you when you opened this box? We got it all, right? We got the glow stick. We got the spray sunscreen. We got the cooling pads. We've got it all. But this is a sunscreen. The sunscreen is big for the whole group, right, Ev? Go Oars ahead. and Alps set us up. <laughs> they sent a whole pack because, and I knew this would happen, sir. One of the guys brought a copper tone sport and a banana boat. Oh. And we said, throw that out. We don't need those harsh chemicals. We're going to get you the 2021 Men's Health Sunscreen of the Year by Oars and Alps. So we've got all the packs. We're going to be reapplying. But, sir, actually, I want you to help people with your hack. I was talking to Ors and Alps today earlier. I realized why I don't reapply in the past. It's because it kind of grossed me out. Like, I'm sticky. I'm sweaty. I'm sandy. What, I'm just going to put more stuff on top of that? It's kind of gross. But you kind of invented something special at your member guests. Tell people what you did. I think this is genius. After every nine-hole match... I'd wipe myself down with the cooling wipes, then reapply the sunscreen. The spray is so much better because you're not getting that bad smell and you're not getting that kind of cakey, sticky feel. Yeah. So it's the one-two punch. It's genius. I was going to tweet about it today. So all you got to do, go to oarsandalps.com, O-A-R-S and Alps, A-L-P-S.com. Enter the code train, get 15% off all of the sunscreens. I recommend the SPF 30 with antioxidant spray. It's got some vitamin C in there which is good. Less alcohol, so it doesn't dry you out. The ghost stick's amazing to keep in your bag and the cleansing wipes, that could be a game changer. So grab the cleansing wipes while you're at it. It's got little beads on it. It's cooling and cleansing wipes, so it feels good. I might have to do that. I might have to reload. You've got them, so I'll use yours. I'll use yours. I've got them. I'm not I'm not giving the cleansing wipes to Ryan because I got to go. No, go don't give them to Ryan. I got to go take his money right now, so I'm not letting him get ahead. We got to go. We got to get back to the pool. We just wanted to hop on here and give you this, this deal. So oarsandalps.com, enter the code train, get 50% off. They're going to keep us protected all weekend long. Good content's going to be on Instagram at the par train. And um, thanks to Oars and Alps. Guys, let's get back to the show. So if you hit a foul ball, Matt, and your driver, I, I've seen it in person. It's, it's fun to watch. <laughs> and you were actually getting me to hit some of my best drivers when oh, I was you with were, you. Yeah, I remember you were striking <laughs> That's actually something I still have with me is swinging the right field. At least from what I was seeing, you didn't hit many foul balls. So if you're starting to hit a couple foul balls, are you embracing that and saying, I can get it up and down from the trees because I'm chipping well and I can be creative in the trees and I want my advantage to maintain, which is my distance? Or how quickly do you fall back and hit a three metal or something less even? I fall back pretty fast. Okay. Knowing by like, you know, the contact basically by the warm up system on the range, I can tell like, all right, you know, and there's holes where I'll play the golf course. So there's holes where I'm like, all right, I know what my miss is right now. My miss has been right for the last six weeks. So if I get on the golf course and I know, like, if I know I have a lot of room, right, even if it's rough or trees, then absolutely. I'm going to just bang the driver as hard as I can. But if there's trouble, right, hundred percent, I'm going to be like, okay, I'm going to hit whatever club doesn't get me into trouble on the right. I feel comfortable with the number into the green from that distance. And like I said, that just goes back to where 
I mean, we play some holes sometimes, some par fours that are long, you know, and very tight. And I've had to almost be like, all right, I'm basically going to play this like a par five, just because if I miss the driver, like I've been missing it on this hole, I'm going to make a six. Yeah. But if I hit it up here and play it like a par five, worst I'm going to do is make a five. That's kind of what I try to do as much as I can. It's still hard because we're competitors. We're men. We have testosterone. We get on a hole on a par five or long par four. We just, it's genetically in our body. Like I need to hit driver. I have to hit driver. Yeah. Which is great if you're swinging well that day. I mean, by all means. But if you're searching, those are not the holes to, to search on. And that's kind of what I always have to think about is there's other holes I can be aggressive. Like there's other holes where I can get away with a miss and I can be aggressive. But this is not one of those holes. And like I said, if, if I make a six or a seven, that's on me. I can accept making a five. I cannot accept making a six or a seven. I spent so many rounds where I'm hitting it all over the map and I keep telling myself to keep practicing the driver, keep practicing the driver, even just keep practicing your mental routine. And then it takes me till hole 14 to say, all right, let's pull out the three wood. And then I start actually playing real golf versus trying to, <laughs> you know, scramble the entire day. Yeah. But you said something interesting in another interview. I think our listeners will love, which is golf obviously is mentally exhausting, but being mentally exhausted makes your body exhausted. Talk about that a little bit, because I don't think people really realize that. Yeah. So your central nervous system is mainly, you know, ran by your brain when you're mentally exhausted out there, you know, and for us, like I said, I mean, I've gone 10 weeks in a row the last 10 weeks, which is way too much for me. I mean, you don't really have time to reset or shut down your brain because it's, you know, you're you're playing practice rounds sometimes Monday, Tuesday, or Monday, Wednesday, or Tuesday, Wednesday. Some guys go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Then the tournament starts. You're playing Thursday. You're playing Friday. You make the cut. You're playing Saturday, Sunday. Then you're traveling to the next place, either Sunday night or Monday. That's a lot. It's hard. It'll wear you down. When you're mentally fatigued out there, your central nervous system, it protects your body. It'll make you sluggish. Like Your body's not going to move the way it's supposed to. You're not going to have the same energy levels because your body's inherently protecting itself. Because if you try to push too hard when you're that fatigued, that's how injuries happen. So for me, I've noticed when I can't really focus, when I can't focus on what I'm doing, when I can't find that song in my head, when I can't do those things, my body's also like, it's not doing those things. The reaction between my brain telling my, you know, my hips to fire or my torso to turn is much slower than it normally would be, especially when you're playing in you know, different climates, whether it's elevation or it's somewhere that's very humid to yeah. that heat index starts to get really high. Like you have to keep your mind strong. You have to drink a crap load of water. You have to eat every other hole. I think the average golfer probably doesn't do that enough anyway. Like you should be drinking, you know, at least eight ounces of water every hole just to keep your mind fresh. Some people don't like to eat on the golf course. I try to eat, you know, at least once or twice during the round whether it's a protein bar, some beef jerky, something with a little protein, but not a lot of sugar because your mind is going to control everything. Not just your, you know, it's not just about your, you know, what you're thinking about. It's what your body's doing because of your mind as well. The more you can keep it in control, the better off you're always going to be. Well, I feel like the average player doesn't have golf shape because like for me, I just realized a couple of weeks ago, I went to Sand Valley. I didn't give myself much grace. You know, I'm walking, they gave me a tour of, the new Sedge Valley and the Lido. So I'm walking through like basically a beach of yeah. sand for <laughs> 18 holes in 90, 95 degree humid heat. Yeah. Uh, I'm drinking what I think is a decent amount of water, but probably not nearly enough. 
So then I get to play Sand Valley alone at the end of the day at 4 p.m. I'm alone on the course, a dream scenario. I mean, that's just epic. Epic for free, like a dream scenario. And yet my body feels like it could collapse. My brain's starting to like, I'm out here alone. My phone's dead. I even laid down at one point. I'm like trying to like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like trying to reset. And I realized like, you probably have felt that before 10 straight weeks, guys can barely go three to four straight weeks. And this is exactly where you want to be. And you're not feeling Mm -hmm. your best in those scenarios when it's almost impossible to avoid exhaustion mentally and physically. What do you do to try and remain fresh mentally to then have freshness physically? Those are like the times when I practice smarter. I don't practice harder. I practice smarter. So on Monday, I'm trying to find the time of the day on Monday when it's not going to be crowded. Like when I think, you know, it's going to be pretty, pretty quiet out there and I'll go out and, you know, I might just play nine holes, but it'll be a fast nine holes. I'm not going to sit there and grind on every hole or grind on every green. I'm just going to go out there and, you know, just hit shots off the tee, hit some approach shots, play nine holes, shut it down. Tuesday, I might go through like a very small rain session. But then I'm going to spend most of the day with physio or doing some self-care, like go to the gym, do some yoga, you know, something to just kind of give my body a break from the golf course and yep. recharge a little bit. And then Wednesday, I try to go out really early before the pro-ams because, you know, I can go out at like 6.30 a.m. It's nice and cool and I can play the other nine holes that I didn't play really fast and be done. And then the great thing about, you know, for us is that we have, we have a partner, right? Like I have a caddy he has to be a very large extension of myself. So I need him to go out and do all that work I don't want to do right now because it's going to overheat my, my mind. So he goes out and he charts the greens, finds different numbers from different areas, you know, different sprinkler heads. Like say there's a hole, I want to hit it over this fairway into the right fairway. So he'll go out there and get numbers from that sprinkler head over in the right fairway so that I can just rest, you know, play the, I'll play the course, nine holes Monday, nine holes Wednesday morning. That way by Thursday, you know, I feel as fresh as I can be. And that's kind of been my recipe the last three or four weeks. You know, the problem is even doing all that, I was battling an injury I didn't really know about the whole time. So I was still being somewhat competitive. I was just never getting to that breakthrough of like, of hitting the ball the way I wanted to, because no matter how much I felt okay, my body just was not going to let me. Do you like being known, Matt, as like a mini tour legend? I'm sure there's (laughs) different feelings of that, right? I mean, it's cool. I mean, you want to be a legend in something. Right. Yeah. And I I feel like it's a sense of accomplishment for me where finally being out here and like being on the corn territory, you know, I think it's one of the second most elite tours in the world. I mean, it's close as you can get to the PGA tour. It's it's almost the show. And there's lots of guys out here that have gotten here different ways. I mean, everybody's had to earn it. But for me, I feel like I had to earn it. I hit every shot. I shot every one of those scores. I won every one of those tournaments. I battled every single way like you could to get here. Call it what you want to call it. Like there was many years when people not really criticized me, but were just like, you know, oh, he's only comfortable playing the mini tours. He doesn't even try to do Monday qualifiers or go to Q score, you know, do any of that stuff. And yeah, I mean, you could look at it that way because I was playing really good golf. Why wouldn't I want to go try those opportunities? But at the same time, like Pat Perez just said in his interview, Guys, at that time, like, you know, I'm in my mid 30s. I'm almost 40. I don't have the time to find my way out here. I need to make money. I need to earn a living. I need to provide for myself. 
I'm going to do whatever I think is best for me to do that. And for those years when I was, you know, first starting, if that meant I just play mini tours and I stay kind of local. And if I can make a hundred grand a year playing mini tours, I can't yeah. not do that. So yeah, that's why I did that. And I did go to Q school a lot of those years. And I mean, I struggled at second stage so many years. Uh, it was just, it was a bugaboo that I just couldn't get off my, my, my shoulders. And then last year I finally did, but that's because I finally started treating Q school like a mini tour tournament, like every tournament I step onto, which is I walk on the driving range. I'm winning. I'm the best player here and I'm going to beat all of you. I'm winning. That's the only thing in my mind. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break here from one of our sponsors and then we'll get right back to the show. Okay. Big news, actually breaking news, leather belts on the golf course. They're dead. Okay. Leather belts, they get all weird when it gets sweaty and they don't flex. I mean, it's just old school. And you know, it's 2022. Let's start playing golf in the age that we're in. The best part about Roosta's belts, you can make it whatever you want. So it's woven stretch and they've got this awesome, subtle Roosta's logo. Now don't get this mixed up with Red Rooster, our glove sponsor. Okay. Roosta's with an A is our favorite belt in the game. We talked about them a couple months ago. They're hopping back on board because so many of you have been loving and buying all of their belts. And so we're excited to have them back on board. But to me, what I love most about the Roosters belts is you can kind of walk the line of what you want. If you want a little flare and spruce up your outfit, wear something different, you can. I've got a black Roosters belt. I think it's the Oahu that has little specks of white. And the reason I like that one the most is because it basically works with any outfit. But I've also got some other fresh color ones, right? With maybe some royal blues or abandoned green. If you want a little flair, they got that. But if you want something more classic, if you want like a khaki or a black or a solid color, even a white, they've got those too. So go to shoproostas.com. That's S-H-O-P-R-O-O-S-T-A-S.com. Enter the code train, get yourself 20% off and free shipping. Okay. That's unheard of. Take your outfit to the next level. I know you guys are buying a ton of rollback. Why don't we take that rollback stretch to your belt game? Okay. I'm telling you guys, I know so many of you've got them. I'm getting a few more colors because I just love them so much. I fully hope you do the same. So shop roostas.com, enter the code train, 20% off and free shipping. All right, let's get back to the show. Wasn't it funny, Matt? You weren't a different player. No. You were the same player. But this is what I was talking about, bringing it full circle with confidence is a practice and confidence is a reminder. And just a very simple mindset shift of before. And I've heard this from so many Corn Fairy guys we've had on the show where it's just trying to make cuts, just trying to make cuts. And the minute that you're put against your backs against the wall and you got to go low or you try and win, Usually they get pretty close, right? And so the simple fact of you just trying to get to second stage, get through second stage versus trying to win, think about the difference in your body of like Mm -hmm. defensiveness, just get by versus attack offense. It's a totally different feeling. 100%. And I mean, this year at second stage, I mean, I had fun. Like I was having fun. I mean, Mm -hmm. I won by four or five. Anybody that's played Q school, they know the feeling they're like, school is a nightmare i mean you just get stuck in this mindset of like you put everything on it like it's my whole world like if i don't get to q school what am i going to do next year like you basically set yourself up for failure yeah because 
you know, success in golf is we're judging it off of that. I failed 94% of the time. Yeah. For me, like, yeah, it wasn't, if I played it like Q school every single year, I found myself, like you said, right around the number. Like if I'm like, all right, I just need to survive. Like surviving means finishing 20th every single year, each round I'm somewhere between 25th and like 19th place. And it's like, you're just stuck every round beating yourself up. Like, cause you're just trying to survive where this year it was like, I'm just going to go out there and try to win. Like, yeah. I'm going to try to beat everybody. And all of a sudden it was, you know, at that first stage, at second stage, I was right around the lead every single day. I ended up winning second stage. Then I got to finals and I was a victim of my own circumstances where I, you know, you just look around, you're like, holy crap, there's so many guys here. Like, you know, you just start letting those doubts creep in like, man, I'm like, like, can I do this? Can I, can I win here too? Can I do this? Then you start off and, you know, make a quick bogey. And then it's like, all right, let's just, you know, let's, let's play smart. Let's just, let's just try to try to get through today and get through tomorrow. And then immediately I'm out of that mindset of trying to win. Yeah. And that's been pretty much what's happened the last eight or nine weeks for me because of just how I've been playing. And, you know, I, I'm going to every tournament, like, all right, let's just, you know, let's get to the weekend, let's get to the weekend and try to try to move up and get some points. I'm not going out there thinking like, I want to win this week. Let's go out there and win. I'm going to do this. And it's unfortunate, you know, the injury part doesn't help, but it was a really good learning year. So if I get back out there, I mean, now that I've seen the courses, I know what I'm in for. Like, I know exactly what to do to win golf tournaments. I've done it for the last eight years. It's just continuing that process onto each level. And sometimes it takes a little longer. Once you get to each level, it might take a little longer to keep to incorporate that same, you know, mindset and process. Well, that's but a- I know if I get back out there, like it's like a circus, right? It's like once you've been inside and you've seen behind the curtain, the mystic's gone. You know, before you see it, there's that mystic like, oh man, like everybody's gonna be so good. Everybody stripes it. Every yeah. no, they don't. It's amazing when you get out mm. there, like how bad some guys hit it. But the difference is how tough they are in here it doesn't matter how they hit it because they just know and they believe what they're going to shoot when they do it. Well, I want the listener to reflect on something right now. So you've won. I know you said you don't know the number, but you're probably over 50 mini tour wins in your career. Is that fair? Oh yeah. Okay. Let's just use this as context over 50 wins. You just won second stage. The thing that's kind of been your nemesis in Q school. You just won second stage. You get to the finals. You've won 50 times. And you still, in a new situation, it's natural. The automatic pattern is, whoa, do I belong Mm -hmm. here? Am I good enough, right? Just like I described when I'm in a round with people that I'm not used to playing with or a really great course or my member guest, like I'm usually one of the better ones that I'm playing with. And then I go and I play with scratch players that played D1 college. I suddenly feel like I don't know what I'm Mm -hmm. doing, right? So I just want people to to realize that because like, Again, people might not relate to what you're saying, but they should because you go through the exact same thing. And regardless of what level it is, confidence is a practice and a reminder. Matt, you said you had to learn how to win. What would you say is something that can apply to the average player that you didn't know before you started winning or that helped you win second stage? What did you learn that helped you win? I learned... You know, that what I did off the golf course, huge for what I did on the golf course. The way I felt, like the way I practiced, set up everything for the way I felt on the golf course. You know, a lot of that came back to, like I said, the, you know, I started practicing smarter, not harder. I listened to my body. I listened to, to my mind. It's okay to 
It's attached. It's okay to go have fun with your friends. It's okay to go do these things. You know, not everybody is Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant was one of a kind. Everybody gets stuck in this. Like, I need to be like Kobe Bryant. Like, no days off. Like, 4 a.m. every single day. 18 hours a day. Like, I mean, there's maybe like two humans on the planet that can sustain that and be that successful. Yeah. And I don't even know if there's two humans on the planet nowadays who could do that. So, for me, I gave myself a break. That was and you love Kobe Bryant. Thing. And I do. I love Kobe Bryant. But, like, I just gave myself a break. Like I stopped mm. being so hard on myself and I just listened to my, like myself, my mind, my body. And I just started going to tournaments and I just, I didn't even think or care about what I was shooting or how I was playing going into the tournament. I just was like, I got there, played my practice round. I hit some balls and I just was like, man, I like this place. Let's go win. Like, let's go make a bunch of birdies. And obviously it, you still have to do it. And like, once you do it once, you're like, okay, that was fun. That was cool. And then you do it again. Okay, that was cool. And it, you do, I mean, golf's one of those sports. You have to train yourself how to be comfortable going really low. You know? I've been fortunate enough to shoot you know, some, some stupid numbers in tournaments on multiple occasions where, you know, you, ha- you do have to get in that trance. And I don't, it, it could be different for everybody. You know, some people are perfectly fine being totally aware of what's going on. They like it. They like counting each hole. Like, all right, cool. I'm one under all right, good. I'm two under. All right, I'm five under. All right, I'm six under. All right, sweet. Let's get to eight under. Some people can do that. They focus, you know, they focus on the number. I have to focus on like my process, which is like I said, it's those you don't have to focus for six hours. If I hit the ball 65 times, 28 seconds, all 65 times. So whatever 28 times 65, that's what I have to focus for. And as long as I do that, I'm gonna be successful. Yeah. And whatever goes on between the shots. Let your mind wander. Let it do whatever it wants to do. Look around like, oh, man, that's a cool looking tree. Like, whoa, look at that cloud. It looks, you know, just yeah. let your mind wander and do whatever it needs to do, because that's going to help you, you know, not focus on results or what's going on in the moment. For so long, I played golf focused on results. It's probably what I've been doing the last, you know, seven or eight weeks. Where I've gotten back to that kind of result oriented process. And it's just so detrimental for success, at least for me. Like I said, some guys are good at, are good at that, but I'm not one of them. So you have to find what works for you. You have to practice it the hardest when you're not on the golf course. For me, that's what made me successful was doing it when I was at home, sitting at home on the couch, just like playing some holes in my mind, like really like strategizing how I was going to play the tournament course the next day in my mind the night before and not accepting that. All right, if I hit it here, I do this. If I hit it here, I do this, but I'm going to hit it here. And if I hit it here, then I do this. But mainly just, like I said, not focusing on, like, score, but just those 28 seconds, how can I make the golf, best golf swing? Like, how can I put everything I have into this 28 seconds? And then I'm going to walk for a few minutes, and then when I get to the next one, how can I put everything I have into this 28 seconds? It's going to take a while for most people, especially when you're a scratch golfer. If you're a good golfer, you know, you're going to have those days. I'm sure you've had them, Evan, where, like, you're going to have those days when all of a sudden you're, like, four under, you know, through 11 holes, and you're like, holy crap, like, I can shoot this. I and have, the minute yeah. you say, holy crap, I can shoot this, what happens? You bogey the next hole or you do something, yeah. <laughs> something happens. Yeah, because our approach changes Yeah, without so realizing it. You got to change your mind that when that moment happens, when you're like, holy crap, I, you just embrace it. And you're like, you know, fuck yeah, like, let's go. Yeah, this is that's sick. That's what then I'm trying to do. Stare at it. Yeah, stare at a tree, stare at a cloud. Like, do, and just let your, mind, let your mind wander away from it. Don't let it focus on it. Because if it focuses on it, that engine goes from eight cylinders to four cylinders like that. And then you're just, you're going to start tense up and you're going to, you know, we all know tension's the worst thing for the golf swing. 
Something I learned last time, my member guest, which is my Q school, right? <laughs> my buddy who played in college, me and him played at his uh, member guest for three or four years now. We Last year was the first year we didn't make the horse race. And I realized last year, my, my approach was play offense. I had previously had so much fear and mm-hmm. tentativeness because it's a really hard course and anything, even just a great drive offline you're in jail. And that's not the type of courses we play here in Southern California. I can hit it anywhere, usually here, at least the courses I'm playing. But back in the Midwest, it's not the case. So I tried to switch fear to enjoying the hunt was my mantra all week. Like, let's go for it. Let's go after it. Let's take it. But what I learned is fear and wanting it too bad almost creates the same (laughs) results, right? Like I was so, I was so offensive, but I wanted the results so bad that I was way too focused on when do I get shots? What are my opponents doing? All this stuff. When, if I would have just been playing the holes, not worrying about when I get a pop, I'm going to make a fair amount of pars, but I was getting in my own way the whole time because I was wanting it too bad. And that's, I think a really hard thing for people is, well, they want something. How do they go after it without not wanting it? but you have to be detached and obsessed you with your process. That. Like you said, that 28 seconds. This is perfect. This is a very good indicator of like how I handle that and how like teamwork comes into it. So like my caddy, his name's Will. He's been on my bag for since the last three or four weeks. And I wanted to work with him prior to that. He just, it didn't work out. So we finally got together and going forward. He'll, he'll probably always be my guy, but we have a routine where like there's holes that are scary at certain tournaments we've played. And like, I want to be really aggressive on those holes. So we get to that tee box, you know, and, and like, we're talking it over. I know what he wants me to do, but I, I kind of will give him this look, you know, and he'll look at me and he, we both have this understanding where he'll look at me and he'll go, you want to do it? And I say, yeah. And he goes, you accept the consequence? I said, yes, I a hundred percent accept the consequence. And basically by doing that, it's like, I'm telling him, dude, I want to hit the driver. I know that if I miss it, it's, it's bad. And I accept it right now but I want to, that's kind of what we do. So it's, it's kind of a mixture of like, I'm focusing on a result, but I'm also, I I'm a hundred percent at peace with, if I hit this thing bad, we're probably reloading like, or we're, you know, it's in the, like it only happens maybe, you know, once or twice a week, but those one or two times, instead of being afraid of that hole, I'll be like, I want it. Like, let's go. I want it. And he's like, all right. He's like, as long as you commit, you commit and you accept whatever happens. And I say, yep. And that's how we've been doing it. And it's funny. Every time we've done that, I've just absolutely just blistered them. Like just (laughs) absolutely just murdered it because I'm completely free. Like I don't, it's basically like I, you know, it's that DGAF attitude. Like I'm completely free. Like I don't care what happens. I'm hammering this thing. I want it and I'm hammering it. And if it goes sideways, whatever, I accept it. But at least I gave it my best opportunity, you know? you can accept it without focusing on the result by doing that. So like, yeah. instead of being afraid because of course it's really tight or the trees, just, you know, certain holes, just be like, you know what? I want to hit driver here. I'm going to hit driver. And you know, if I hit it great, awesome. If I hit it crappy, awesome. But I'm going to hit this thing. Yeah. That way, those 28 seconds are completely committed. There's no tension. There's no hesitation in those 28 seconds. It's, I love go. that. Well, last question, and then we'll get you out of here. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about things you've learned from Canelo, the boxer, you guys have played in the pro-am, the BMW pro-am. You guys, I think have played a lot of golf together. I guess two-part question, similar to my point about playing a different kind of week, right? This guy's a famous boxer. 
you're much better at him than golf, right? So is that an easier week to play, more challenging because you're with him? And then part two of that question is, what have you learned from him mentally that has helped your game? I mean, it's a blast. Anytime I get to spin with him on a golf course is always, it's always fun just because he's, he's just such a champion. You know, he's such an athlete. Like he's, it's just, it's amazing how fast he learns and soaks things up and how like willing he is to fail and then, you know, get better from it. That's probably the most impressive thing. And that's probably what I've learned the most from him. Just the way he, the way he prepares and trains is basically the mindset of he's always prepared. A lot of guys, they start their camps six, seven weeks out of a fight. Canelo never stops training. He just, he trains all year long, whether it might change. He changes sparring partners depending on which fight he's got coming. So obviously if the guy's bigger than him, he bring in a bigger sparring partner. If the guy's faster, he thinks faster than he'll bring in somebody. That's pretty much all he does. But everything else, you know, he's a machine. I mean, it's just year in, year out. Because in his mind, like what he's always told me is, Matt, if I lose, it's because I lose. It's not because anybody's going to be better than me. They're not going to outwork me. Mm. If I lose, it's because I lose. That's what's always stuck with me with him is that mentality. And that's where I, for me, like working smarter, not harder. If I, if I'm failing, it's because I'm not working smart enough or hard enough. It's not because I'm not good enough. It's because I'm not prepared. So his mantra is always, I'm always prepared. Interesting. Love it. Well, if you guys aren't following him at Maddie P funk on Instagram, anything you want to leave people with anything you want to reiterate or say that we didn't get to that you want to leave the uh, amateur player with or aspiring. Pro. Uh, just uh, like I said, just give yourself a break. You know, this game is, it's more than just, than just hitting a golf ball. It's, it's so telling of who we are as individuals. Like it, it can bring out the worst in us and it can bring out the best in us. So just give yourself a break and just, like I said, enjoy it. Like it's one of the only games in the world that, you're, that we are completely accountable ourselves for what we do out there. You know, you can play it for a lifetime. Enjoy it. Have fun. If you're trying to get better, enjoy that process. And don't be so hard on yourself. Be okay with you're going to hit bad shots and you're going to hit horrible shots. You're going you're gonna to do things that are going to drive you crazy out there. But it's we all do it at every single level. So you're not alone. Sounds like you're saying enjoy the ride, which is very enjoy on brand for us. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> love it well matt i'm yeah. glad we could finally do this i hope you can get back from the injury real soon and as always we'll be rooting for you thanks evan thanks man